0: Man, it's, it's been a great morning and it's about to get a lot better because we have our children's message. So kids, come on up here. Have a seat on the floor right here. I've got a special message just for you guys today. No one sits in that blue box Okay, i got to put something in there. Thank you, Miss Camilla. All right. So if you're new here, we have a special message for kids. If you brought kids, they're welcome to come up here. And then they'll go back and sit with you in just a minute. How are you guys doing today? I'm so excited to see you guys today. I've got a special, special challenge for you. You guys up for a challenge today? You came to church to work today? Okay, we're going to do it. Now, listen, here's the deal. I need your help, all right? You're going to help with this object lesson that's actually for your parents and the adults in the room, but you guys are going to help me teach it to them, okay? Are you ready for the mission. Here's the mission. Listen very, very carefully. I need you guys, this group right here, to take that block from that box and put it in that box. However, however, you're not allowed to touch the block. The block needs to go from that box to that box. No part of you or your clothing can touch that block. It's a tough one. How do you guys have any ideas? Any ideas of how we can move that block? What's What's your idea? I the adults to move it. You want to ask for help to move the block? Okay. What do you want to do? Find something long. Well, we don't have enough time to go find any tools. What do you think we should do? Okay. What do you think we should do? I think we should use a piece of string and drag it all the way over. Drag it? Okay. I really liked, because if you guys had all those tools, technically you'd kind of be touching it, but with your tool. But what did Ameline say? What, what did she say we were supposed to do? Ask one of the adults for help. At, go ask one of those adults. Maybe, yeah, you can ask whoever you want. Ms. Dar- Ms. Dar- Ms. Dar- oh, you're going to make Miss Darlene mm-hmm. do it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, make space, make space for her. All right, make sure to tell her what she's supposed to do. pick it up with my hand. Am I allowed do this? Yeah. Let's give Miss Darlene a hand. Now, here's the object lesson. I really thought this was going to take a lot longer. I didn't know you guys would come up with it so fast. You're so smart. Let me tell you something about what the Lord does in our life. Did you know that God has a unique purpose for all of us? Did you know that as believers, God is oftentimes going to ask us to do things that seem like they're impossible? And you know what? They are impossible. They're impossible for you to do on your own. So how did we move this block from that square over to that square? We We had to ask for help. You know what the Bible says about the Lord? That he's always with us. That he will not forsake us. That he's our help in times of trouble. So whatever God calls you to do, he's going to help you to complete, all right? So today, the word of the day is mission, all right? mission you guys did awesome you can go back and sit down if you have more questions you can ask me after church okay all right church take out a copy of god's word with me today and open it up to the book of acts chapter 28 acts chapter 28 i really thought the kids were going to take a lot longer to figure out how to move that block y'all have some smart kids did any of you adults think that that was the solution? You all did. Okay, well, I guess that's why the kids are smart, because y'all are smart too. That's going to that's gonna come back to bite you in the rear end, though, because we're going to talk about that later. All right, we finally made it to the last chapter of the book of Acts. We've been in this. Uh, this uh, te- You can leave it right there, Bruce. That's, we're going to leave it. We're going to use that again. Thank you so much. As long as the kids don't congregate, we'll be okay. Acts chapter 28. The tail end of the book of Acts. You guys have been on this journey with me for a few months now, and this is it. This is the last one we're going to finish today. We're catching up with the Apostle Paul and Luke and a few other believers as they move from Caesarea to Rome. Paul had been on trial in Caesarea under the Roman leaders there because he had the audacity to go to Jerusalem and to stand in the company of his brethren and to tell them that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of his people. And what Paul earned by being obedient to the Lord and boldly proclaiming the gospel to his people is a beating, an illegal arrest, an illegal trial, and then he found himself Uh, under uh, Roman authority and rule and in chains. All this was in accordance with God's plan and God's desire for the Apostle Paul to travel from Israel to Rome in order to stand in front of the most powerful, most important people in the world and proclaim to them that Jesus is the Savior. Last week in Acts chapter 27... Uh, we met Paul as they loaded a ship to go from Caesarea to Rome. Now, that wasn't an easy journey because the centurion over him named Julius and the rest of the the captain and the rest of the people on that boat did not listen to Paul when he told them, listen, we're moving into some inclement weather here. We need to wait to sail. Uh, They didn't listen to him. Instead, they uh, were in a hurry, so they jumped on that boat, they went out to sea, and very soon they found themselves at sea in the middle of a nor'easter, which produces hurricane force winds. We left Paul at the end of that uh, chapter 27 with his crew, with his shipmates, as as the ship busted up. Uh, on the beach and as they went into the water still Paul proclaiming to his people I trust my God he has a purpose for me and he's made a promise to you and I that not one of us will harm a single hair on our heads that left us asking this question in our own lives As we look at Paul, as we watch him obediently follow Jesus' call upon his life to go from Caesarea to Rome and potentially his death, as he lived and walked by faith, we were left with this question. Do I trust God's purpose for my life? Well, you, like many other people, have probably asked that question. What is God's purpose for my life? Anybody ever asked that before? Maybe you're asking that right now. What is God's purpose for my life? Why am I here? You know, people all over the world ask that question every single day. Now, I've got good news for you today. I'm going to tell you what God's purpose is for your life. Would you like to know it? If you had your hand up, then you probably are wondering what the answer to that question is. Here's God's design, God's purpose for your life. Number one, God desires for you to be born again. God desires for you to turn from your sin and to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God desires for you to profess faith in Jesus as the one who came and lived a perfect life. The one who gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross. The one whose blood was poured out as an atonement or a covering for your sin. The one who was buried in the ground. And hallelujah, the one who rose again on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures, conquering death and sin and Satan and his power over your life. God desires for you to place your faith in Jesus. And through that step of faith in Jesus, God desires to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. God desires for his spirit to dwell within you, believer. And that Holy Spirit is going to bring with him these gifts. These supernatural spiritual gifts for you to use for the building up of God's church. God desires to use those through you and through the power of the Holy Spirit to build up his church. God desires for you to experience the fruits of that indwelling Holy Spirit. Fruits like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. How many of y'all could use some peace? Anybody? Some joy? Some love? How about some self-control? Anybody? We don't like that one, but we need it. God desires for you to have all of that. God desires for you to use your gifts for the building up of the church. God desires to richly reward you after you die and when you go to be with Jesus in heaven. Fulfilling the works that God has called you to do while on this earth. God desires to pour out his blessings upon you. And finally, God desires for you to live an everlasting life in his presence in eternity forever. That's God's purpose for you. That's what God desires for you to experience in your life life? Do I trust in God's purpose? Do I believe that God desires for that to happen in my life? Because it's not always easy to believe that, is it? I don't know what kind of circumstances you're walking through right now in your life. I don't know what kind of storm you're experiencing. Do you believe that he will give you all those things? Do you believe that he wants you to experience those things in your life? I do. Do you all believe that? Let's stand firm in the storm. Let's stand together on the solid rock. Because it's on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Everything else is sinking sand, right? Everything else is sinking sand. Stand on the foundation laid by Christ. Believe in the word and the promises of God and he will protect you. He will grow you. He will refine you. He will demonstrate his grace toward you in the midst of the storm. And while we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter where we are, no matter what we are going through, like Paul declared in Acts 27:25, we can say, I believe God that it will be just the way that it was told to me. When that preacher stood up on that platform on that Sunday morning and told me that God loves me and that God has a purpose for my life, that God desires to bless me, that God desires for me to have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self control, I believe all of that. I believe God wants me to experience that even in the darkest valley of my life because He told me that He walks with me in the midst of that valley. Paul was in that valley. Right? I can't think of a darker place to be than shipwrecked, floating out in the water, preparing for my ultimate death. I've never been shipwrecked, but that seems like a pretty dark valley to me. So the first question we had to answer yesterday was, do I trust God's purpose for my life? And right, all of us say, yes, right? All of us say, Yes. All right, one more time. All of us say, right? So if you're not willing to say yes, I don't need to move to the next message. I'll just do last week's again. Sounds like we're ready to move to chapter 28. I trust God's purpose for my life, right? We believe that God has this magnificent purpose for our lives. Now, the rubber meets the road in answering this next question and the final question in the book of Acts. Will I fulfill God's purpose for my life? Will I fulfill God's purpose in my life? It's one thing to say that I trust the Lord. It's quite another thing to demonstrate that trust through the way that I live. So what I'm going to do now We're going to read through Acts chapter 28. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to offer a little bit of commentary. And then I've got four points of application that we'll do at the end. So take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. So the island they shipwrecked next to was Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. Kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up and suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and thought he was a god. Now in the area around that place, there was an estate belonging to a leading man of the island called Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there... After making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day, we came to Peteoli. There, we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so, we came to Rome. Now, the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as Forum of Appius and the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Then, uh, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. As God promised, every single person on that ship arrived safely on the island of Malta. One scholar explained something very interesting. Even though they had no idea of their position, even though they had no control whatsoever of their boat, of their ship, Paul and this ship traveled on the exact course necessary to get where they needed to go. That's pretty hilarious, right? Is there a better demonstration of God's sovereignty than a boat caught in a storm which goes exactly where it needs to go? I've been on a boat. I've lost you know, uh, lost the anchor or had the engine go off. My boat never goes where it's supposed to go. Right? It always goes toward the shoal or toward the other boat, or it turns around sideways and gets all cattywampus at the dock. It never goes where it's supposed to be, right? So this doesn't just happen on its own, right? When you're out in a ship and things go bad, if a bad thing could happen on a boat, guess what? It does happen. Paul and his crew arrive exactly where they need to be. Not only that, when they arrive on Malta, the locals are there prepared to offer them, what does the Bible say? Extraordinary or extraordinary kindness. This means kindness unlike anything they should have done to them. That's what they give to them. Then Paul's bit by a snake. Everything that happens, this poor guy, seems like, could it get worse? Yes, it's going to get worse. You're going to get bit by a snake, a poisonous snake. And yet Paul remains unaffected by it. Paul doesn't even freak out. What does he do? The snake like, clasps onto him and he just like shakes it off into the fire and goes about his business. What a good example of God's providential preservation. They're on Malta for over three months. The Lord demonstrates his power over sickness through Paul. And you probably missed this. Every sick person on that island was healed. Not just some of them. Look at the text. Every single sick person on that island was healed. The New Testament, the the book of Acts, shows that as Paul would go from place to place healing, he didn't just heal for the sake of healing. Well, what isn't said here, what we believe happened, was he was healing as a demonstration of God's power through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul probably was healing people to demonstrate as a sign that Jesus is the Savior. Probably what happened there is people are being healed, hearing the gospel, and also being saved. Finally, at the end of this part of the text, Paul makes it to Rome. What's interesting about this is in Acts chapter 28, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascended to be with the Father in heaven, this is what he said to the apostles. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul had fulfilled that in going to Rome. That's what they believed was the end of the earth at that time. Now, we, of course, are further away, so that keeps expanding, but we see the fulfillment by the end of the book of Acts of Jesus' prophecy that the gospel would go not just to Jerusalem, not just to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but all the way around the globe, and we continue to fulfill that now as we send missionaries to the remotest parts of this globe so that all people could hear the gospel and have the opportunity to be saved. All right, let's get back into it. Acts chapter 28, verse 17. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me, since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring. Uh, even though I had no charge to bring against my people, for this reason I asked to see you, and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Then they said to him, "We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers have come and reported or spoken anything evil about you." but we want to hear what your views are since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. So Paul continues his evangelistic pattern as he did on every mission trip. He goes first to the Jews to share the gospel with them about their long-awaited Messiah who has come and his name is Jesus. He shared his story with them Specifically explaining how he was falsely imprisoned because of his belief as Jesus, as the resurrected Savior. Now the Jewish leaders in Rome, they had not heard any bad reports about Paul from the leaders in Judea. But they are aware that Paul's message about Jesus is divisive. So they had heard about Jesus. They had heard about Christianity. And they tell Paul, we've heard about this and, and we know that it's causing quite a stir. And so we want to talk to you, and we want to hear about what you have to say. All right, so next is Paul's message to them. Look, look at verse 23. After arranging a day with him, many came to meet him at his lodging. Remember, because Paul is sort of on house arrest. He's not allowed to leave, but he's given uh, permission and a lot of grace from Rome to receive people into his home um, and to share the gospel. So they come and meet him at his house. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing with them among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening, but never understanding. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul stayed two whole years in the rented house and he welcomed all who visited him proclaimed the kingdom of god and teaching about the lord jesus christ with all believers and without hindrance so paul explains to the jews of rome about who jesus is he uses the word of god to show them how God prophesied before Jesus ever came that Jesus would be the Messiah. And as Paul shared this story with all of his fellow Jews, some believed, but many did not believe. You know Paul. Paul did not hold any punches, right? Paul just brought the hammer down. Paul wasn't about making any friends. I feel like if Paul came here and preached, half of y'all would leave during the sermon, right? Because he was such a hard preacher. I'm just kidding. That probably wouldn't happen here. You might be a little mad when you left. So, Paul shares the gospel, right? And many of them will not believe what Paul has to say. So, Paul busts out a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 God sent Isaiah to the Israelite people. To prophesy against them. Because the people of Israel would not repent of their sin and turn back to God and follow him in accordance with the law. So Isaiah comes and Isaiah says everything that's recorded there in Acts chapter 28 verses 26 uh, 26 on uh, through 27. So Paul sees that many of these Israelites, his brother Jews, many of them are not believing what Paul is preaching. So what does Paul say? You know, Isaiah was right about you guys. Here the truth is in front of you, laid out, and yet you cannot see. You refuse to open up your eyes. You cannot hear. You refuse to hear the truth of the Word of God. And so just like Jerusalem, just like the other places like Ephesus and Galatia and the other places where Paul went, many of his people refused to believe what he had to say. And so he turned to the Gentiles. And we know that Paul's ministry in Rome on those last two years of his life were very fruitful. Ultimately, we believe that Paul was martyred for his faith by Nero, the emperor at that time, who martyred thousands upon thousands of Christians at that time. So now we come to the end of Acts chapter 28, the end of the book of Acts. We've asked the question, Do I believe, do I trust that God has a purpose for my life? And all of us said, yes. "Yes." The next question we have, how can I fulfill God's purpose for my life? Right, God's told you to take the concrete block from that square to that square, and all of you have been alive long enough to know that you can't do any of that on your own, right? Amen? We can't conquer. We we can't fulfill the things that God's called us to do on our own. It's impossible. So how do we fulfill those things? How do I get the block from here to here? How do I get my life, how do I get my walk with the Lord from there to there, knowing that I cannot do it on my own? I'm going to give you four things, and then we'll be done. Number one. Our fulfillment of God's purpose for our lives is accompanied by his providential protection, which enables us to complete the mission. Think about it. God purposed to give Paul a platform in front of the most powerful people in the entire world. Paul could never have done that on his own. In fact, God is the one that orchestrated every single one of those events. The people that Paul was sent to regularly beat him, regularly imprisoned him, regularly made plans to end his life. Every turn of Paul's missions required God's miraculous intervention. He was chased by angry mobs. He was stranded at sea. He was beaten, arrested, imprisoned. He was put on trial on several instances. And yet at every crucial point in his mission, God intervened at the exact time where Paul needed him most to accomplish the mission. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says this, But the Lord is faithful. Do you all believe that God's faithful? He will strengthen you. Do you believe that he'll strengthen you? And guard you from the evil one. God has a mission for you to fulfill. Do not fear. The king of this universe protects you as you go. This doesn't mean that God will enable you to fulfill the mission without sacrifice. This doesn't mean that God may not ask you to lay down your life for him or for his kingdom. The greatest missionaries that ever lived died while fulfilling God's mission in their lives. This does mean That God has the power to enable you to fulfill the appointed mission. He is in complete control over your future. Every breath in your lungs, every beating of your heart, every moment is under the providential protection of God, and he will provide a pathway for you to complete your purpose. That's number one. Number two, God changes hearts. And removes obstacles that are in your way. We can't help but laugh at the way that God has done this for Paul. We don't have time to list every single powerful leader God used to preserve Paul's life. But Paul overcame some amazing obstacles. He had some pretty significant mountains In his way, and yet in every case, God miraculously intervened to remove those mountains so Paul could march on and fulfill God's missions. God uses government leaders, global events, even social media influencers to complete the mission. Even those who never intended on serving God are used by God for your benefit and for his glory. First John 4 4 says this You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. No person, no government, no law, no spiritual being will prevent you from fulfilling God's mission. What obstacles lie between you? and fulfilling God's mission in your life. What is the concrete block? What is the thing that God has called you to do? What lies between there and victory? There in fulfillment of the mission, there in fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Anxiety, depression, addiction, worldliness, Lack of faith, impossible odds. God can overcome any one of those obstacles to help you fulfill the mission he's called you to achieve. Number three, God will always send you where you need to be. God will send you where you need to be. In the book of Acts, Luke presents an ongoing theme in Paul's life. Trust in the Lord, make wise plans, fulfill the mission where you are. Trust in the Lord, make wise plans, fulfill the mission where you are. If you were to go home today and just read the whole book of Acts, this is what you'll see. You'll see as God moved in Paul's life, he'll say things like, "I really feel like I need to get back to Jerusalem," right? He'll tell the believers, "Like it's time for me to go. I need to get back to Jerusalem or I need to go back to Antioch." Rarely did Paul ever go directly to those places. Like, he knew God wanted him there, but God's path to go there was oftentimes like, oh, over here and then back around. The case in point, Paul knew when he left Caesarea, I need to get to Rome. Like, I need to get in front of the emperor. I need to be sharing the gospel in Rome. Now, how did Paul get to Rome? Did he, they hop on a, you know, a cruise liner, crank that baby up, hit the lunch buffets, some snacks in the afternoon, roll into Rome, like, as he planned, like, straight as a bird flies? No. Paul arrived in Rome via a shipwreck, three months on Malta, several other unplanned visits, during which Paul was sharing the gospel and fulfilling God's plan and his purpose for his life. Paul fulfilled the mission as God opened the doors. Paul's faithfulness teaches us to continue to follow God's leadership, trusting that we'll end up in the right place. It might be where you thought you were going, like Rome, but it might also include a stopover in Malta. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says this, Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Sometimes... We get so preoccupied with the big vision, the grand vision, the the thing or the place where we know God wants us to go in the future that we forget to fulfill God's plan for us in the present. It's good to make wise plans and to execute those plans by faith, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the Word of God. But always be prepared to fulfill the mission right where you are in that moment. Now, how do we apply that to everyday life? We apply that by the continual prayer for that uninterested coworker, By looking upon our neighborhood with Jesus' eyes, trusting in God, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, We'll put you in front of the person who needs to hear the gospel. We'll open your eyes and your ears to the person that needs your help. You'll be the person of comfort for the one who's grieving. Finally, number four. Your circumstances don't prevent God's mission from being accomplished. Right? It's easy for us not to do what God wants us to do because of our circumstances, right? God, I'm going to do that tomorrow. God, I really want to do what I know you're calling me to do. You don't understand where my life is right now, right? That's funny when we tell God that He doesn't understand. God's like, I know the beginning of the end. He's like, He doesn't, He didn't just change your diapers when you were a baby. He put you together and made you a baby, right? God knows everything about you. God understands. God died on a cross for your sins. He understands more than anybody else in the whole world, in the whole universe. No one understands you or your circumstances like God. Paul experienced some pretty difficult circumstances, didn't he? He was hated by his own people, right? Paul loved his fellow Jews. In fact, he said, if it's possible for me to lay aside my salvation for them, I would do it. He often wept over them. He prayed over them. He would go to them knowing, I'm going to tell them the gospel, then they're going to beat me within an inch of my life. And yet he continued to go. And then he was sent to the Gentiles, who also hated him, who arrested him, who tried to kill him, who stoned him oftentimes, threw him out of their towns and left him for dead. If anybody on this earth could use the excuse of not fulfilling God's mission because of circumstances, I think Paul probably could do it, right? And yet he didn't. He trudged on. He kept sharing. He kept taking steps of faith. He kept relying on God to use whatever difficult circumstance he was in for his glory. He wrote in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul said that in the midst of difficult circumstances. He wrote that to the Philippian people in the midst of difficult circumstances. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Our God is a God who overcomes every circumstance in your life. Whatever he has appointed you to, he will equip you to fulfill. When he's called you to complete a mission, nothing, no person, no spirit will stand in your way. He changes circumstances, he redeems mistakes, and he opens doors for his glory and for your good. We're going to move into a time of invitation now. We all agree that God has a good purpose for our lives. Now I've told you that God has this amazing purpose, and you all said, yeah, I believe that. So we're going to have a time of invitation. If you are new here, what we're going to do in just a minute, everybody's going to stand up. We're going to sing a song together. This is an opportunity for you to make any decision that God's laid on your heart. Maybe you need to come forward and just pray at the altar. Maybe you need to take that step of faith and follow Jesus for the very first time. Join this church, follow through with baptism, just like you saw Ameline do this morning. Whatever God's doing in your heart, let's use this time to respond to it. Will you all stand with me now? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of invitation. We trust in you. We trust in the movement of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would help us to respond by faith. For the one who's in this room today, who has a decision to make, who needs prayer, give them the faith to step out of that pew and to come forward. We ask, God, that you would move in a mighty way, that you would remove all obstacles from our path so we can follow you and fulfill your mission. We trust in you in this moment and ask that you have your way in us. In Jesus' name I pray.